0: Hello, and welcome back to Writing Children's Fiction. My name's Andy, I teach creative writing, and I write children's fiction under the pseudonym A.P. Winter. Each episode, I try to introduce an idea around writing fiction with a straightforward question. This week, we'll be asking what makes a good ending? There's a scene I like from an early Simpsons episode where Lisa goes to a pet shop and asks for their smartest hamster. Okay, says the shopkeeper, this little guy writes mysteries under the name of J.D. McGregor. How can a hamster write mysteries? asks Lisa. Well, he gets the ending first, then he works backward. Often when we plan endings, we think of the climax of the action, The point where the main character wins or loses, gets what they want or doesn't. Where the conflict is built to a point at which it needs to be resolved, one way or another. We've looked at this kind of model in previous podcasts, but actually when we think about endings, there's something else going on too. Let's start with an example. This is from Tove Janssen's Moominland. Midwinter. Suddenly he felt so happy that he had to be alone. He strolled off towards the woodshed, and when nobody could see him any longer, he broke into a run. He ran through the melting snow with the sun warming his back. He ran simply because he was happy, with nothing at all to think about. He ran on down to the shore and out on the landing stage, and straight through the empty aired bathing house. Then he seated himself on the bathing house steps, with the spring sea at his feet. He could only just hear the barrel organ playing in the farthest corner of the valley if he listened very closely. Moomintroll looked down in the water, and tried to remember the time when the ice had stretched away and melted into the darkness of the horizon. It's immediately clear that this is an ending, isn't it? There's the unmistakable impression of a story winding down in that final image. And there's also something profound in that closing line. We go from a clearly joyous image of him running and celebrating to something more thoughtful, a sense of a figure being swallowed up in the vastness of the landscape. Keep that in mind as we look at some other examples here from famous novels. The first is from Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. He was soon borne away by the waves and lost in darkness and distance. Or well, how about this from The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald? So we beat on, boats against the current, born back ceaselessly into the past. It's eerily familiar, isn't it, even using the word born to give a sense of small figures being carried along by bigger forces. Think about the effect of that in terms of how it presents an ending. Are we getting a sense of things stretching away, not just in the landscape, but to ideas beyond the world of the story? Each of these uses the vastness of the open waves to convey a sense of this, but what about an example that's less focused on the sea, like this from Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain? I got to light out for the territory ahead of the rest because Aunt Sally, she's going to adopt me and civilise me, and I can't stand it. I've been there before. There's humour in this, there's a nicely ironic sense of the narrator seeing a conventional happy closure to a childhood tale about to occur, and deciding he needs to run as far as he can to escape it. But there's something similar going on with that impression of a vast landscape, isn't there? These are fairly clear examples, but whether you have a character riding off into the sunset or not, it's worth thinking about this more mysterious second ending to the story. The one that comes after the action side of things has been resolved. One which uses an image to give us a sense of things continuing beyond what has happened, and perhaps allows space for us to reflect upon the changes the character has gone through. This idea of a second ending gives us a good clue about something else that might be going on in our writing. In presenting a final image of a character, it gives us an impression of how far that character has come. If you were presented with a passage about the character, who they are, what their life is like from the beginning of the story, and then shown this image of them at the end, it's possible we'd already get a sense of a story that must have taken place between, even if we don't know all the details. Think of the opening and closing images of Luke Skywalker's journey in Star Wars A New Hope. He goes from being a whiny and petulant teenager who doesn't want to do his chores in the opening image, to a closing image where he is receiving a medal for his heroism in saving the galaxy the images won't always line up this way it may be that the character has gone on all kinds of adventures only to decide they prefer how things were back where they started or it may be that everything has changed for them and they've become the person they want to be either way Comparing those opening and closing images should provide a sense of events. Another interesting echo to be aware of in endings is the idea of an image that represents a theme which has been established early on in the story. We've seen an example of this when we talked about conflict over the course of a long piece of fiction. This notion that some idea is referenced early on in the story, with fairly low stakes around it, but keeps emerging in later scenes with higher stakes involved. In the case of the example we looked at, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, an early scene involved a friendly argument about greed not changing people, which has an eerie echo through the later scenes showing a friendship being torn apart by the desire the gold. What is the closing image of this movie? A pile of abandoned gold dust being blown away in a sandstorm. It's a satisfying nod to this theme, this object that people have risked and ruined their lives for in the story, being reduced to insignificance. And again, if we saw that early scene with the argument about greed, and saw this image of gold abandoned, we'd have the impression of a significant story that has occurred in between, even if we might not know all the details. I think trying to write your closing image early on in your draft, before you've written the whole story, and comparing it to the opening image, is a really useful exercise to help focus on the personal side of plotting to figure out what this story is going to do to the person who is making these choices and facing these challenges or to underline what your story is trying to say to get an impression of what the story's attitude is towards the theme it is setting up. Obviously there's still a lot to figure out in the occurrences between and the ending may change but having this image to work towards can help keep things focused over the course of an extended project. The kind of image you want to close on is often informed by the scope of the story you're writing, so whether it deals with big events or small events. This is because endings often play with the scale of what we've seen up until that point for a sweeping story that covers a lot of time a lot of journeys, a large cast of characters, a small image or scene that represents the whole is often a good instinctive choice. Conversely, a story which is very close to the unfolding of one small event from one limited perspective can often benefit from a sense of larger scale in the image at the end, a sense of a life stretching out ahead or a sense of peace being brought to the kingdom of our story world, far beyond what the character may have considered before. Loglines tell us the questions that need answering at the end of the novel, but the way we convey our closing image is perhaps best informed by the scale of what has come before. There's another consideration that perhaps is more critical For children's authors in particular. That's the idea of stories needing to end happily. First and foremost, whatever your instincts on this, it's important to bear in mind the things we considered in the episode George's Arbitrary Medicine. This idea of events emerging from choices that characters have made being a strong approach for making the story feel plausible. If your ending doesn't seem to be the result of things that have come before, or if it doesn't give us a sense of what the author is trying to say with the theme, it risks feeling unsatisfying. Beyond that, I have a couple of contrasting opinions here about happy endings from an online article in The Guardian that presents the case for each viewpoint. The first is from book critic Amanda Craig. I'm not arguing for a sappy, happy story. Children love books in which bad things happen, from bullying to bereavement, but it seems to me that the best obey the fairy tale rules in showing how heroes are returned from the dark to hope and the feeling that life still has something to offer. This is why readers return to them repeatedly, even as adults. As a children's book critic, I feel strongly that books for the young need to take into account their emotional vulnerability. So that's one point of view. Now, for the other side of the coin, children's author Robert Muchamore. Without the freedom to deliver a sad ending, many stories would lose the emotional power that makes them great. Children's writers must carefully consider the effect their stories have on young readers but that's a different thing to making rules on how stories must end and vague assertions that our books must fit inside some cloyingly safe world apart. So that's some things to consider. In my opinion there are plenty of ways to end a story and I'm sure you can judge the tone for yourself, but it is something to be aware of in your planning. I did want to add a final quote from an Amazon review of a book which I hated the ending of as a child. Here are the reviewer's words. My ten-year-old was so upset after the final chapter that he cried inconsolably and said it was the most horrible book he had ever read. He was really angry that we'd wasted so much time reading it. Obviously a dream review for any author and unsurprisingly it gave it one star, although scrolling down I did notice this fantastic example of the wonderful quality of online reviews. This is a very well-written book set in wartime, but a modern teen will be well able to relate to the story. Now that might sound good, uh, but they gave it one star too. It makes you relish the idea of being a writer, doesn't it? Anyway, that's it for this time. I hope you'll be pleased to hear that this episode isn't my way of hinting that I'm bringing the series to a close. Sorry for the delay on releasing this one. I'll aim to get something posted again in the near future. All aspects of this podcast were created by me. If you like the podcast, please give it a good review wherever you find it and share it with your friends and fellow writers. It makes a big difference. As always, you can reach me via Twitter or my website by searching for AP Winter. I'll do my best to think up something interesting for next time. I hope you'll join me then.